And I don't know why it is that we seem to have a different attitude toward the prayers that we sing than we have toward the prayers that we say out loud. We don't seem to have the same type of uh, reaction, the same type of solemnity. But this is a prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. And I I want to say this to you before we start singing. If you don't want this to happen, then don't sing this song. You shouldn't be praying for things that you don't want to happen. So if you don't want the Spirit of the living God to fall on you, to mold you and make you and melt you and use you, then you shouldn't be singing this song. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Melt me, mold me. about the power made available to us through the indwelling spirit is not easy for us. In fact, it's extremely difficult because of our legalistic and pragmatic tendencies that cause us to fear things that we cannot understand through our rational senses or what seems to be based in what is mystical. But I want to say this to you. Explaining things removes the miraculous. I don't want everything explained to me. When I was a kid living in Michigan, every spring 
It was a big thing in our family of who was going to see the first robin. I, I didn't know where the robins went in the fall. I didn't know why they came back in the spring. I just knew that as a child, there was something mystical, something almost magical about the fact that one day the robins were back. It was a wonderful thing. And then somebody explained it all to me. And I lost something really valuable. Because I thought, as a child, that God took the robins away. And in the spring, I believed that God brought them back. And so they didn't do me a favor by explaining it all to me. Because it lost some of its wonder. And so I'm, I'm saying to you that there are so many things in life that don't need to be explained, that cannot be explained. Not really. The same thing, I mean, they told me about the process, but nobody really knew what put it into a robin's head that it was time to go south. I'll tell you this is kind of funny. The only South I knew about, I lived in Michigan. The only South I knew about was Arkansas. And I thought all the robins went to Arkansas. I did. I thought that's where all the robins are. And I felt good about that. All the robins are in Arkansas. And in the spring, they'll all come back to Michigan. I guess that I've gone back to my childhood because I just now believe that God tells the robins that it's time to leave and God tells the robins it's time to go back. Is there anything wrong with that? I mean, isn't that done enough? Am I not better off? Am I not better off believing that God tells the robins it's time to go? And he tells the robins it's time to go back. Isn't that, it's a marvelous thing. It's a wonderful thing. So when the children say to you, you know, where do the geese go? Or you say, they go to Arkansas. <laughs> They're Canada geese. So they all go to Canada. Well, why do they go to Canada? Because God tells them it's time to go to Canada and have your babies. And in the spring, you and your babies will come back. No, isn't that a marvelous thing? It's a wonderful thing. Explaining things removes the miraculous, otherworldly, mystical aspect of our relationship with God. And everything we can explain puts us in control. I'm saying something important to you. You see, I like things I can control. If I can explain it, I can control it. This tendency causes us to think constantly in objective, materialistic, practical terms rather than in spiritual and otherworldly terms. I just said something important to you. 
we tend to think in objective material terms. But as Christians, we are supposed to be thinking in spiritual terms, otherworldly terms. So it's not just about what happens, it's about why it happens. I want to challenge you with this idea. Spiritual reality cannot be seen with the physical senses. Spiritual reality. There are two realities in this world. There is material reality. The sun rises, the sun sets, all the rivers flow to the sea, but the sea is not full. There's all of that. Brothers and sisters, for us, there is another reality, a far greater reality. Ultimately, heaven and hell are the only realities because this earth is passing away. Heaven and hell are the only realities. That's it. And they exist. Since we tend to focus on what we can see, what we can hear, what we can feel, what we can smell, most of our prayers and concerns are about material concerns. You can understand that. This isn't hard. If, If what I live in is material reality, then most of my prayers are concerned with material reality. But if I live in the spiritual realm, then most of my prayers will be about spiritual reality. So whether or not my son graduates from medical school and makes a lot of money is a material value. But the only thing I'm really concerned about is whether or not my son goes to heaven. That's it. I don't care what he does for a living. I really don't care what he does for a living. It is relatively unimportant. But that he knows God and that he ends up in heaven is of the greatest possible importance. So, yes, sometimes when he's going off somewhere, I I do hope he has a safe journey. But that's not my biggest concern I'm concerned with how what he does when he gets there. I'm concerned about how he relates to God. I'm concerned about whether or not he's living the best possible life. My son will be 50 years old. Doesn't seem possible. And you know, I, I wouldn't care how old he gets, but he keeps pushing me in front of him. Well, If I got word today, if my phone rang, I don't have it on me, I don't bring it in, but if my phone rang and my daughter or my other son said, Dad, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, Lincoln was killed today. What 
in a material sense, what's the first question we ask? How did it happen? Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Does it matter? <laughs> He's dead. Does it matter how he died? See, all I'm saying is that my big concern is not how he died. My concern is where is he? That's what I'm really concerned about. And what I want to say to you is, if that's my real concern when he dies, shouldn't that be my real concern while he's still alive? Does that make sense to you? Of course it does. Because when he dies, I'm only concerned about one thing and one thing only. Is he right with God? That's it. So if that's the thing of ultimate importance, when I realize he died, shouldn't it be of ultimate importance while he's still alive? Of course it is. You can nod your head. Thank you. It is that unseen spiritual world that God is most concerned with, and it should be our greatest concern. So I'm just telling you, check your prayer life. If you've got the courage, look into the things you pray for, because that's where your heart is. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Passage we noted earlier. I call it back to your attention. He prays about the Ephesian church being strengthened with power. That's my prayer for this congregation here in Clinton, Oklahoma. I pray that God will strengthen you with power through His Spirit. That's how it happens. And that power needs to be in your inner being, not in your committee meetings, not in your marketing strategies. It has to be, that's what Paul prays for, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The question is not whether or not do we understand that. The question is, do we believe that? I don't have any understanding of how the Holy Spirit is going to strengthen me with power in my inner being. I don't know how that happens, and neither do you. And that's not the question. It's not the question, church. The question is, do I believe that? That's all that's important. Do I believe the walls are going to fall down? Do I believe that the church is going to be triumphant? The book of Revelation, church, has two messages. God's going to win. And the church is going to be victorious. That's it. You really understand that? You understand the book of Revelation. All the rest of it is not important. 
Anybody that says they understand all that stuff about those four living creatures that got eyes under their wings and in their tail and all over the place is a liar. A guy lie about that and lie about other things. God is going to win. The church is going to be victorious. That's it. Do we believe that? In spite of everything we see. In spite of all the news about all the evil and all the war and all the killing and all the stuff, that horrible stuff that's going on in this world. Do we still believe that God's going to win? And that the church is going to be victorious? What does that strengthening power enable us to do? Paul says it creates a heart that is large enough to allow the Christ to dwell in it. Again, I know when I say that, we almost trivialize it. But ultimately, it's the heart that has the risen Christ living in it that is empowered to do all kinds of things. Because if we're relying on the fact that the Christ is living in us, then we're not relying on our own gifts, our own abilities, our own strategies, our own plans and purposes. Having the resurrected Christ living in us is an awesome thought. I just see something here in my notes. And I don't... And I mean awesome. I'm an English teacher. You have to remember this. In the true sense of the word. We, we have so... The other day I was at my son's house and one of the grandkids said, Dad, those ribs are awesome. And I said to him, What would you say if you saw the Grand Canyon? He said, is this a trick question? (laughs) I said, don't use your adjectives. Don't use up your adjectives. Save the word awesome for something that's really awesome. I'll tell you what, God is awesome. Those ribs are not. That's what I got to say to you. They're good. In fact, they're very good. But they're not awesome. They're not. Because where do you go after awesome? We, well, we said really awesome or incredibly awesome. <laughs> but you see, we, 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 see, we keep running out. So we can't express ourselves. It's like love. You see, I love chocolate pie. I love my truck. I love my mother. And so my mother fits in between my truck and chocolate pie somewhere. See, it, you see we, we, we've so abused our words that they come to the point they don't mean anything. That was free. You don't pay for that. <laughs> it is a spiritual challenge that deals in the unseen area of our lives because we cannot explain it, and therefore we cannot control it. And sometimes we charge, we, we usually decide to ignore it. Paul's emphasis is on dwell. 
important word. Without the Holy Spirit, this goes into another area, but I don't have time for and I don't have a lesson. I, I've, got, I've got a book coming out, A Restoration Church on the Holy Spirit, and I'll be talking about how the Holy Spirit works in the conversion process. Without the Holy Spirit, Jesus may occasionally influence our lives. Okay? So at Christmas time, millions of people are influenced by the life of the Christ. But it doesn't affect them in January. January we go right back. There, there is a spirit of giving. There's a spirit of, of friendship, love, kindness that pervades much of the world at Christmas time. But it disappears in January. We're back to life as usual. And so these things may occasionally influence our lives. But the indwelling Holy Spirit allows the Christ to dwell, dwell, take up residence, to live there. He becomes a permanent fixture. But, here again, the Christ only dwells in our hearts through faith. That's it. He dwells there because we believe He's there. And that's it. There is no other way. The Christ is living in us because we believe He is. And only by having the risen Christ dwelling in us that we have the power to overcome sin. And you've been so patient. And, and I, I, I've got 13 minutes left. And I will be done, whether I'm done or not. The reason why having the Christ dwelling in us, having the Holy Spirit living in us, the reason why that empowers us to overcome sin. Don't miss this. Is because we are so full of Jesus, we're so full of the Holy Spirit, that there is no room for Satan, the fleshly nature, to overcome us. When I was a kid growing up, this is the horrible mistake preachers made. I made it when I started preaching. They preached on all the things we should not do. And they were right. No, I'm not, I'm not faulting that. But you can't build a life on what you're against. You can't build your spirituality on what you're opposed to. You have to build it on what you're for. No, this is so critically, horribly important because there's so many parents that go around teaching their kids all of the things they should refrain from, but they don't tell them what they need to be doing. You can't build your life on what you're against. And so I, I built my spiritual life on. I don't smreak, I don't, uh, um, I don't swear, and I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't go with the girls that do. That was my Christianity. 
But I didn't know what I was supposed to be doing. I knew what I was supposed to not do. But you know, the more you don't want to do something, the more you think about it. Isn't that interesting? Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. The more I focus on, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. What, what is it? Do you remember the little nursery story about the mother that said, don't shove beans up your nose? She came home and all the kids had beans shoved up their nose. Because that's what, when she left, that's all they could think about was, why does mom not want me to put beans up my nose? <laughs> well, because you can't get them out. See, so after mom left, they all looked at each other and said, why shouldn't we put beans up our nose? And someone said, I don't know. They said, well, let's, let's just fight, figure it out. So they all, she, her mom came home and all the kids had beans up their nose. Because that's what they were focused on. But it's a beautiful, important lesson. When I was at Freed, we had chapel speakers all the time. Sometimes we even had a good one. Uh, but uh, one week, uh, these two kids at Freed ran over, drove into Mississippi and got married. In Mississippi, you didn't have, parental, have to have parental consent, and you only had to be 18. Uh, in Tennessee, you had to have, if you were under 21, you had to have a parental consent. So these kids drove over to Mississippi and got married one night. Well, we knew we were in for it. And so we had a whole week of preacher guys coming and talking to us about sex. Truthfully, I didn't think they knew much about it. They kept talking about the dangers of holding hands. I, you know, it never was a problem for me. I mean, they, they, I, mean they, I got to thinking that's where you had babies. You hold hands too much. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, uh, this one guy came toward the end of the week. A man, he was from the old school, and he, man, did he lay into us. He told us what a bunch of sinful, willful, onerous, profligate. He just went on and on and on. And I didn't even know what some of those words meant. But I knew they weren't good. But after he got through, after chapel was over, I don't know if you ever, this was in the old chapel hall at Freed. You went out and went down these steps. It was a, and there was a landing there. Well, I left and I was standing on that landing. This guy came down. I said, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. He said, sure. I said, you know, I need some help with something. I said, you said all those things about us, and they're true. I am those things. I am sinful. My problem is you didn't tell me what to do about it. Let me tell you what he said to me. I'll never forget it. He said, Son, you need to try harder. And I walked down those steps. 
And I had tears in my eyes because I had tried. I tried till I broke my heart trying. And I didn't get anywhere. I got worse. I cannot tell you, I cannot begin to tell you how much it would have changed my life if what I'm saying to you today had been said to me when I was a teenager. Because I thought it was all on me. I thought I was a horrible sinner because I was a horrible sinner. But the problem was I was a person. I was a flawed human being living in a fallen world. That's what I was. And flawed human beings are sinners. And we live in a fallen world with a bunch of other flawed human beings. So we have flawed people who marry each other and they give birth to flawed children. And they have flawed grandchildren. It's the nature of this world. And without this right here, that's all we've got. We're stuck with ourselves. We're stuck with ourselves. We're stuck with that picking ourselves up by our bootstraps theology. And you can't do it, you know. If you've ever tried to pick yourself up by your bootstraps, you found out you couldn't. And I'm telling you, you cannot deal with sin in your life by determination or willpower. You can't do it. You can't do it. And that's why this material is so critically important. Because we wonder why our kids just keep going astray. Why we're losing our young people. Because we're preaching an impossible theology. Impossible. And they get just like me. There's nothing I can do about it. So I give up. No matter how hard I try, I keep screwing up. So why try? Why not just go with the flow? Why not? I'm only trying to say to you that that's why this is so important. It's why I wanted to talk to you about this. Because it strikes at the very heart of our conflict between God and Satan. And we're caught in the middle of that. And Satan is constantly trying to influence us in this direction. And God is trying to move us in this direction. And we stand in the middle. And if we don't have the Holy Spirit, if we don't have the Christ living in us, we're going to go Satan's direction, I promise you, every time. We're going to go in the wrong direction. There isn't a person in this building that hasn't screwed up. And it wasn't because you, weren't, because you were ignorant. I never committed a sin in my life due to ignorance. I never sinned because I didn't know that was a sin. Are you kidding me? I committed that sin because I wanted to. Because what was the want to in me was stronger than the not want to. And basically what that means is, That the Holy Spirit in me was weaker than the spirit of the world I live in. That's what that means. I'm not saying I would have lived a perfect life, but I can tell you I would have avoided a lot of the things I stepped in. If I 
if I knew that this kind of power was available to me, I would have avoided a lot of stuff. Well, I'm going to quit. Um, I, I will tell you, I have one new book out. It's only been out about a week. I haven't even read it myself. <laughs> but it's called Teaching Faith to Our Children. And if you've got children or grandchildren, you need to read it. And if you've got children who have children, you need to buy one and give it to them. Because they need to read it. How do we teach faith to our children? Well, Brother Willie Claude Hall at Freed Hardeman said one of the most important things he ever said to the preacher boys. He said, boys, when you get through, sit down. And way too many preachers have not learned that. They get through and they keep going for another ten minutes. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for these wonderful people who have come here today and Thank you for strengthening me. I have prayed so hard that you would strengthen me through your spirit to be able to say, to express the things that are on your heart. And I know that I've done the best I could. And I know how woefully inadequate that is. But I pray that you have done the best you could. And I know how incredibly powerful that is. I pray that we'll be able to take these things home with us. And I pray that we'll leave here better than we were when we came. If we're not, then there was no point in coming here. More thoughtful, more courageous, more passionate, more convicted, more determined, more strengthened, more determined to reach out with the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, to a lost and dying world. I ask you to forgive our sins. But more important, I ask you to empower us to live powerful and victorious, joyful, overcoming lives. In Jesus' name, amen.